Well, now we're going to transition to uh, to turning our attention to God, to the reading and the teaching of God's Word. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles if you have them. Uh, we are going through a series in the book of Daniel, but this morning we're going to actually be doing a little bit, uh, something a little bit different. Pastor Aaron will explain that here briefly, um, but I'll invite Natalie up to read from Genesis 1. Good morning. This is God's Word from Genesis. <clears throat> then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed on its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird, of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Good morning. How are you guys? It's good? Good to see you. Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you with us. As a church, uh, as Pastor Kyle said a minute ago, we are going through the book of Daniel together. Normally, what we like to do is kind of pick a book of the Bible, go through it line by line, verse by verse, word for word. Um, And today, we're basically halfway through. Book of Daniel has 12 chapters. We've done the first six. Uh, You guys are probably the most familiar with the first six. Even if you haven't been with us in this sermon series, the first half of the book of Daniel has all of the stories. It has the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and the hand writing on the wall. And we're done with those fun Sunday school popular stories. And starting next week, we head into the second half of the book of Daniel, which is like the stranger things of the Old Testament. It's going to be the upside down. Uh, I would encourage you to start reading ahead. It's going to be interesting, wild, uncharted territory that honestly, maybe some of you, even some of you who have been in the church for your whole life or familiar with the Bible, you may not have ever heard some of the things from the second half of Daniel, but it's going to be Terrifying for me, but hopefully edifying for all of us as we go through this. Here's where we are, though, today. We're halfway through, and uh, I want to share some thoughts with you, some things that have kind of occurred to me as I was a few months ago studying and preparing to teach through the book of Daniel. And you'll notice our scripture reading was from Genesis 1. I've got this kind of theme up here, but there's no specific passage. We're going to be doing kind of a broad overview of an idea from the book of Daniel and really from the whole scriptures. If you're a note taker, today is a great day for you. You're like, congratulations, you've got lots of work to do. Uh, if you want to get notes, every week we attach kind of an outline version of the sermon up on the the website. You can get it there uh, if you want that to follow along. But before we do anything else, will you just pray with me and even pray for me because I want to be helpful today. God, I ask and I pray that you would uh, help to shape our mindset and our viewpoint, God, as we look in your word and as we look in the scriptures uh, on just the idea of your creation, 
the world that you have made, the, the mountains, the seas, the plants, the animals, the human beings, God, even the spiritual beings and the angels, Lord God, we want to see your intention and your design for creation. We want to know what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. And God, we want to be about your work here on planet Earth, the, the work that you have created human beings to do. <clears throat> God, would you help me to teach only that which is truthful and helpful to build us up in the image of God. And would you uh, lift up Jesus in all of our hearts and minds, the one who is the perfect image of the invisible God and the one who came to die and rise again to restore that which is broken in us. So we, we turn our attention now to Jesus and we say, come and meet with us now. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So I, uh, last week I mentioned social media and using social media pretty frequently. And uh, I, I will tell you, I would love to quit social media, but there's like three reasons why I can't. Number one, uh, Facebook and other things help me stay connected to my family back in Alaska. And I love to, you know, share pictures and see pictures of my nieces and nephews. Uh, number two, uh, Facebook helps me keep a tabs on kind of the church community. And I see things that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise known and people share struggles they're going through or whatever. But number three, I really don't want to quit social media because that's where you get to watch animal videos. <sighs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, there's different types of animal videos. Like there's, ha ha, look at this dumb dog running into the screen door. And those are funny. Even better than those are cats running into things or falling because cats are so arrogant. Like they're so prideful and they're so like superior. And, and then all of a sudden like they jump and they miss the shelf that they were aiming for. And it's like, ha ha, you're a dumb cat. And like, uh, you know, there's also like, there's like inspirational animal videos. You guys know those ones, right? Like, this beloved dog with only three legs you know, named Tripod is out there and he's like, you know, breaking down, you know, this segregated neighborhood and like, oh my goodness, it's so inspiring. And then there's also like giraffes giving birth at the zoo, which I don't like those ones at all, but they're there. But I'll tell you my, my favorite type of animal video on the internet, my favorite type. My favorite type is those videos where you see, it's like a guy who somehow, maybe legally, maybe not, got like a baby tiger and then like raised it to adulthood. And then now the tiger's like sitting on his lap. It weighs 900 pounds. He's feeding it from a bottle. It's like licking his face. I'm like, dude, you're gonna get your head bitten off. And I can't look away, but it's like this remarkable picture of like mankind dwelling with this vicious beast that really shouldn't be, it, like it shouldn't be. But the, I will confess to you all, sometimes after I watch those videos, I get on the internet and I start Googling exotic animal ownership laws for the state of Washington and Snohomish County because I'm like, maybe my wife, maybe she would let me get a tiger. I don't know. Let me just at least bring it up. and Let's just see how the conversation goes. So far, not going so good. But, you know, her heart will soften by God's grace someday. I'm just, you know, claiming that right now. <sighs> now, actually, the real thing is I love those videos when it's like a, a sincerely like a dangerous animal or or something like that where there where there there's a, there's mankind and animal existing in a space that you don't usually see because it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 11 and i always want to share those videos i never do but i just want to hashtag them Isaiah 11 Isaiah 11 Isaiah's a prophet about 100, 150 years before the events of the book of Daniel that we've been studying. And Isaiah, you, you guys have heard me reference Daniel throughout this series. Isaiah was issuing warnings. People of Israel, you have been unfaithful to God. 
The God who redeemed you out of slavery in Egypt. The God who made you his covenant people. He, he, he called you into relationship, but you have been unfaithful. And, and so Isaiah is issuing these warnings of judgment, but even throughout Isaiah is issuing promises of redemption. A Messiah is going to come. A redeemer is going to come. And, and all of this stuff about when the Messiah comes, you know, he's going to bring healing and the, the blind will see and the lame will walk and he'll bring freedom and restoration. But there's this maybe lesser focused on aspect of what Isaiah says will happen when the Messiah comes. And it's in Isaiah 11. You can read with me in verse six. It says this. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. <laughs> and this is like Isaiah's just gonna double down. The nursing child. Anybody got like a young nursing child in here? Okay, yeah, there's a few over there. We'll hear from them later in the sermon, I'm sure. So like the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. Okay, dear moms with nursing age children, if you saw your child hanging out with a cobra, what's your reaction gonna be? Not good, right? How many of you took your kids or your family or you went on a date to like the the state fair, Puyallup Fair, Evergreen Fair, and you go in that petting zoo some of these animals are in the petting zoo. I, I, I just recently pet a goat, a young goat. Like that was, that's actually pretty much all that was in the petting zoo. There were no leopards. I was bummed. There were no leopards, no wolves, no lions. Boring. This is a picture of the restoration that when, when the Messiah comes, It's not just that mankind will be reconciled in right relationship to God. That is true, but that all things will experience a shalom, a peace that only God could bring. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, in the mountain of Zion, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Friends, dear followers of Jesus, if you are a Christian in here, do you long for this day? Do you long for the day when all things will be made new and it will be so good and it will be so peaceful and it will be so beautiful that even wolves and lambs will lie down together and young children can play with cobras and there will be no hurt or destruction or tears or mourning anymore for we will be directly in the presence of God like water covering the sea. I don't know if you know this about the sea. It is water. It's like just full of water, the sea is, that the new creation is going to be just filled with the presence of God directly face to face. That's really good. Is that not good? Now, animal videos, and why do I bring all this up? Because a few months ago, I'm, I'm reading through the book of Daniel, I'm studying through the book of Daniel, I'm highlighting things, I'm, I'm noticing a, a trend, I'm noticing that there is a ton of language, like a lot of language in the book of Daniel about animals. And uh, actually, I'll, do a, I'll give a shout out. This is Jacob over here. Jacob is an intern with our church. He's been uh, working with me directly for the last month or so uh, in sermon prep. If you think the sermons have been better lately, he, he's been helping me. So uh, Jacob, uh, I actually said to him, man, I, I read through Daniel. There's a ton of animal language. Could you go through and could you pull out every single verse and every single line that references beasts, birds, animals, oxen, whatever? And he went through and did it. There are 54 individual references in 12 chapters of the book of Daniel to animals 
animals and beasts. If you want a PDF, it's even color-coded. That's how much Jacob loves you guys. Go to the website, download a color-coded PDF. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. (sighs) Let me just highlight a few for you so you can understand what I'm talking about. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? Statue, head of gold, uh, chest of silver, and so on and so forth. And it says in chapter 2, verse 38, that Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold who rules the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. So it's this statue, but he's, he, his rulership, this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who is leading at the time the largest empire known to mankind, it says that his leadership, his rulership, even extends over animals and birds. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and in this dream, he is a tree. He's a great tree that can be seen to the ends of the earth, and it says the birds and the beasts find their shelter in this tree. That Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to be like a great tree who brings provision to all the creatures of the earth. But then it also says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're really prideful. And the watchers, the holy ones, the, the, the supernatural beings say, because of your pride, you're going to be driven away from men and you're going to become like an, an ox, a cow. And then Nebuchadnezzar's dream is fulfilled. And it's actually, there's even more animal language. It says, he ate grass like an ox. His hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Lots and lots of animal language. Belshazzar, that snot-nosed crown prince acting like a king, remember he forgot about uh, Daniel and an elderly 80-year-old something, Daniel comes in and goes, listen, belly, and he goes, you know, just gives him a history lesson and recounts all of this about ox and and, and eagles and, and all that stuff. And then, Daniel 6, we studied last week, Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions. Like the whole chapter, the big looming threat, the big looming bad guy, the problem that needs to be solved, yes, it's these other rulers that are jealous of Daniel, but the big problem in the moment is vicious lions. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to look next week in Daniel chapter 7. And it's this whole story about these beasts. It's a, it's a dream. It's a vision about these beasts rising up from the sea. It says one of them is like a lion that has eagle's wings. Like, if you've ever worked with kindergartners, that's the kind of stuff that they draw and come up with. It's very imaginative. It's very, like, out-of-the-box thinking. A lion with eagle's wings. The second one's like a bear. The third beast is like a leopard with four wings on its back. And then the last one, the fourth beast, it doesn't really describe it, but it says it has teeth like iron. So maybe some sort of like a dragon type of figure. Lots of animal language. Chapter 8, we're going to see rams versus hawks. I mean, rams versus goats. Uh, We already know the rams versus hawks. That one was done. And my heart rate still has not calmed down from that game on Thursday. No, there's there's another dream, another vision of rams fighting against a goat. And the goat is really interesting. Like, we'll explore this more because it says that the goat has one conspicuous horn out of the front of its forehead. And I'm like, I just saw goats at the petting zoo last month at the fair. They each had two horns. Is this some sort of like one-horned goat unicorn goaticorn thing? Like, I don't know. It's going to be great. We'll get there. Like I said, stranger things are coming. Here's, here's the point, okay? The point is, why does the book of Daniel contain so much language about animals? And I think that there's something in here It's going to help us understand the rest of the book of Daniel. It's really going to help us understand how to live in a world that is quite confused 
about what a human being is, what a human being is for, why we exist, how we're similar to animals but different from animals, how we're similar to angels and supernatural beings but we're different. Like, like would you guys agree that we live in a world that is confused about human beings? Just basic anthropology. And I'll, I'll offer you two exhibits. One I do not have a picture for. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine in Bellevue the other day, and he sent me a photo that he snapped. It wasn't good enough quality to display, but he sent me a photo of a bumper sticker that he saw. And the bumper sticker said, I don't have pets. I have a mixed species family. Okay, neat. All right. Um, okay, I'm just chewing on that. That's very on brand for Seattle, right? A mixed species family. The other one, actually, after the first service, one of our members, Derek, came up and he texted me this photo. We'll put it up on the screen. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but it's a chicken and it says, different but equal. They value their lives like we do. Be fair, be vegan.com. And, uh, mm. like, I love chickens. Fried and bread. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, like, if you've ever spent any time around a chicken, like, I don't know that I'm equal to a chicken. Like, so, like, they're, anyway, so, so we need to understand what God is saying about mankind, about animals, about the order of creation. So here's what I want to start. We're going to look at three things. The nature of creation the nature of sin, and the nature of redemption. So if you're taking notes, those are our three main ideas. The nature of creation, sin, and redemption. Let's start with creation. So going back to Daniel 4. Daniel 4. The tree grew and became strong. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Okay, this is describing Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we had our scripture reading, Natalie read our scripture, from Genesis chapter 1. Do you hear the similar types of language here in Daniel 4 as in Genesis chapter 1? Birds of the air, beasts of the field, every seed-bearing plant for food, the tree providing for all. You guys, you guys hearing that language, and I think that the author of Daniel is, is doing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on purpose to trigger in us the idea that Nebuchadnezzar is actually doing something that is hardwired into what it means to be a human. See, God, God created mankind to, to rule and steward over the earth, and Nebuchadnezzar is actually doing that. He's actually uh, uh, doing something that could be very good to protect and to provide and to lead and to guide and to bring order into a world filled with chaos. The big problem, obviously, with Nebuchadnezzar is he is doing it through prideful, sinful violence. It's easy to have a lot of peace when you just threaten to kill everybody who disagrees with you. So, this language in Daniel echoes back to Genesis chapter 1, and it opens up to us this idea that God created things in a specific way, with a specific order, for a specific purpose. First of all, we know that God is the unique, uncreated creator. Where did God come from? He didn't. The psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And if you want to get into some, you know, quantum physics about the existence of space-time and when did space-time come into existence, and we can't even fathom the idea of a being who lives freed outside of space and time, but if anyone does, it's our God. 
The, the book of 1 Timothy says he is the immortal and invisible king of ages. God has always existed. God will always exist. And God is not created. He alone is unique. There's no one like our God. Amen? No one like our God. Now, next in line, God created. The language I'm going to use here is the heavenly host. The host of heaven. The, the, the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar says that. He says, God does whatever he pleases among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And God actually created the host of heaven. And there's a lot of different words that the Bible uses. We can say angels, supernatural beings. Uh, We saw the word watchers or holy ones earlier in Daniel. We're going to see more of that. Uh, The sons of God, sometimes they're called. Like in in Job chapter 38, when when, when God is rebuking Job, you know, tell me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? when the, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So the angels were present when God created the earth. They were singing and they were shouting for joy and they serve a, a unique place in the order of creation for God as servants. Servants. Some have rebelled and again, we're going to get into all this in later weeks. Chapters like 10 and 11 have a lot to do with the supernatural realm that's going on all around us. Continuing down the order, God creates mankind in a unique space in his image and in his likeness. We read Psalm 8 during our time of singing and worship. Um, I think Pete read it. And it says explicitly, you created mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings. So we're not the, the word in the Bible, if you want the Hebrew word, it's Elohim. It's a really flexible word. Sometimes Elohim means like God, and sometimes it means like the false gods of the nations or angels or supernatural beings. You created mankind a little lower than the Elohim. And then like right in the next verse, yet you have put all things under his feet, beasts and birds and fi- even fish. Like fish, we can't even go into the water, but, but God says that the, the fish are under our domain. So mankind holds this unique space, and then next are animals and then everything else. Plants and rocks and volcanoes and mountains and clouds. Man, the clouds are beautiful yesterday. This is the time of year, by the way, fall in the Pacific Northwest, where we say things like, you know, God, all creation shouts your praises, and it's like, man, I can believe it on a day like today that clear blue sky and the clouds and the water and the mountains. Like, it's like, yeah, God, you're glorious. And the Bible says that's just but a, a faint whisper of how glorious and beautiful he himself is. So this is the order of creation. This is how God has set things up to be. And, and I really want to focus on this idea that mankind, we're in this unique slot where we're a little lower than the heavenly beings, but we share some attributes with them, do we not? They're, they're ministers and they're servants of God. And we're, they, 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 the language in the Bible is like that they're ruling and there's, there's a, r- a rulership sort of a thing. We humans, we, we have some elements that we share in common with the, the supernatural beings, but we're not them. And there's some things that we share in common with the animals, right? You know, uh, particularly mammals, but we're not animals. We're human beings, And for some of you, maybe you've heard this language of, you know, image bearers and created in God's image. And maybe for some of you, you've never really truly understood what that means. Maybe even for some of you, it's just become so rote or familiar that you've lost sight of it. So let me spend a moment on this, right? Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 
God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. They're going to have dominion. Verse 27, he created man in his own image, in the image of God he created. Whenever you see in the Bible, just repeated, 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 this is really important. Don't skip it. Male and female, he created them. So whatever image bearing means, it is shared equally between the sexes. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Now I'm going to turn to a scholar, a guy named Michael Heiser, who um, up until recently actually lived just up the road in uh, Bellingham, Washington. I think he's moving to Florida right now. But Michael Heiser says this. I'm just going to let, I'm going to read this. It's a little bit longer of a quote, but he says this. Identifying the nature of the divine image has preoccupied students and pastors for a long time. Chances are you've heard a sermon or two on the topic. I'm willing to bet that what you've heard is that the image of God is uh, similar to something on this list. Intelligence, reasoning ability, emotions, the ability to commune with God, self-awareness or sentience, language communication ability, the presence of a soul or spirit or both, the conscience, free will, you guys, you guys heard something along those lines? Like this is what it means to be an image bearer of God? All of these things sound like possibilities, but they're not. The image of God means none of these things. If it did, then Bible believers ought to abandon the idea of the sanctity of human life in the womb. This assertion may jar you, but it's quite evident once you really consider that list in the light of how Scripture talks about the image of God. Think about this. We have emotions, therefore we're in the image of God. Don't some animals have emotions? Can you see a, a, a pet that has lost an owner, and it's one of the animal videos I saw, it was crying, like sad? Well, what about, you know, uh, uh, self-awareness? Okay, well, what if, what if our, you know, high priests of computer science actually make an artificial intelligence that seems to have self-awareness? Does that mean now this computer program is in the image and likeness of God? What about people with a serious physical or mental disability and they can't do these certain things on the list? What about a brand new baby, a one-week-old baby who can't reason? They will eventually according to the normal progression, but in that moment, are they not yet in the image and likeness of God? Someone with a, a serious disability, does that mean they're less than human? Defining image-bearing as any ability is a flawed approach. Heiser continues, We are created to image God, to be his imagers. It is what we are by definition. The image is not an ability that we have, but a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. This has some implications, friends. This means that every single human being you have ever met has something to show you about what God is like. And as such, they are deserving of love, respect, dignity, value, and worth. So I say this to you as, as, as 
Bible-believing, truth-valuing, gospel-centered Christians, even those people with whom I fundamentally disagree. I see world, I see the world in one way, they see it in a completely opposite way. I believe X, Y, and Z truths, they think that I'm crazy and I'm a bigot. I, I, I am still called by God to treat that person with respect and honor and love because even if they're not a Christian, even if they have not been saved by Jesus, they are still created in the image and likeness of God. The youngest, most helpless baby the oldest person facing the last few days of their life and completely helpless, men, women, black, white, rich, poor, all are created in the image of God. Amen? And we have to remember this because there can be within us this temptation to devalue image bearers of God or to to value what people can do. And we're called by God. If we really understand this, this, the imago Dei, the image of God, we will be able to treat people, even even those that we have really serious disagreements with, we can treat them with love. We we almost might be able to treat them more like Jesus treated people. I, I I don't know. Do you guys think in our current cultural and political climate we could use a little bit more of that in the world? So as Christians... It starts with understanding that that person (gasps) on the other side of the political aisle from you, ah, they're not an idiot. They're an image bearer. And this helps then set up what it means to go and do. God bless them. Genesis 1, what's sometimes called the creation mandate. He blessed them. He says, now go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and exercise this dominion. You're going to rule. Dominion's a rulership term. God created us to be kings and queens. God created mankind to go into the world. What does he say? Be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean in layman's terms? Have babies. Thank you. Now we know that not every single human being is going to have babies, Half of us can't, and then some are called to a life of singleness. We see this from 1 Corinthians uh, like 6 and 7, and that, that the Apostle Paul was called to a life of singleness. Jesus himself was called to a life of singleness, did not have children. But as a, a, a humanity, we are called to make more humans. We're called then to go into the world and to exercise God's loving rule and his, his dominion. And when we understand that, it will help us avoid some of the ditches that can happen. I already poked fun at the first ditch where we overvalue animal lives. Or even you, you hear this line, you ever heard someone say um, that we human beings are just lucky animals? You ever heard that? It's just fundamentally incompatible with what the teachings of the Bible are. We are not just lucky animals. We do share some traits with the animals, but we are image bearers of God. Doggone it. That's bad, that's bad, I'm sorry. All right? But it also helps us avoid the other ditch. <laughs> that was so bad. Uh, it also helps us avoid the other ditch of devaluing created beings. There's a reason why, when someone is cruel to an animal, we call it inhumane. It is less than human for you to be cruel to an animal. No, animals are not image bearers of God, but we have been given a mandate to exercise dominion to to take God's very own heart and the way that he would rule over things. That's what we're called to do. Now, this is why 
sin is such a terrible disruption. Look at, back in Daniel chapter 4, just again, using this as kind of a launching pad. When Nebuchadnezzar uh, was prideful, says he was driven from among men, he ate grass like an ox. Have you ever seen someone eating grass? It's not human, it's not normal, good human behavior. This is less than human. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers. And though that might sound like a beautiful line from a shampoo commercial, it's not meant in this context as a compliment. And his nails were like bird's claws. Nasty. Here's the idea for this portion is sin disrupts the order of creation. We see this disruption in four ways. Number one, sin is us trying to be overly divine. Think about, think about Nebuchadnezzar, right? Remember Nebuchadnezzar? What was happening right before he became like an animal? He's walking around on the roof of his palace and he's saying, look at this magnificent city that I have built with my own hands. Like, right, he is prideful. He is acting like a god. I had a moment. I just finished a bathroom remodel on Friday night and it wasn't anything super impressive. And I did this bathroom remodel and I stepped back and I took a little picture and I was like, look at this bathroom that I have remodeled by the work of my hands. Like, oh no, no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a goat or something. So I had to humble myself and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to love and serve my family by working on this stupid bathroom. Anyways, Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what is it that the serpent says to Eve? No, 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 you won't surely die. You will be, what does he say? You will be like Elohim. You'll be like God or a God. It's, it's hard to know in the translation. I, I think he's, he's basically saying, like, look at you. You could be like a God. Elevate your status. So sin and pride is fundamentally this like trying to overshoot, trying to outpunch out your weight class. Eve and Adam already were and in the image and likeness of God. And yet he's saying, there's more. God's holding out on you. Sin is trying to be overly divine. Number two, sin puts us under the rule of beasts. According to what God said in Genesis 1, who should have been ruling and reigning over the creepy things that crawl on the ground? Adam and Eve. And yet, because of pride and because of sin, the order is flipped and now... Sin rules over us in this image of beasts. And we're going to see this really clearly next week in Daniel chapter 7 when all these beasts are rising up from the sea and it says they're ruling and they're reigning and they're conquering nations and they're just like exercising dominion and it's bad for everyone. Number three, it's not just the beasts out there, it's the beast in here because sin makes us act like animals. I mean, this is vivid technicolor display in Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. But what about in the rest of our lives? Psalm 73, the psalmist says, God, when my heart was embittered toward you, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast. Think about how animals live their lives. Think about the the fact that like they see something, they just take it. They, they don't have a moral law that they operate according to and they just, they just do what they want. I, one of the videos, one of the animal videos I watched recently was a, a chimpanzee had a piece of fruit and another chimpanzee wanted it. And so what did this chimpanzee do? Walked over to the first chimpanzee, beat the stuffing out of it, biting it, clawing it, just absolutely annihilated it. Takes the fruit, goes and sits down. No conscience, no, just, I'm just eating the fruit. And the other monkey, chimpanzee, is like, 
well, that stank, and then like kind of walked off, like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Think about what is, what is theft? What is robbery among humans? What is assault? What about, I, you know, you even hear this language used, you know, a guy, you know, he's promiscuous, locker room talk, oh, you dog, you dirty dog, you animal. Like that kind of language. Sin makes us behave like animals. We're ruled by beasts out there and the beast in here. And lastly, number four, sin makes us treat other people like animals. Wendy Witters, a scholar, I've referenced her works before, she says this, we dehumanize people with remarkable ease. In our thoughts and words, we rob them of the dignity they deserve just because they're a human, just because they bear that remarkable divine image. When someone, especially someone we do not know personally, does something that defies common sense, displays lack of thought, or reveals great ignorance, we respond with scorn or derision, sometimes spoken, often not. Anybody tracking here? Church, be honest. Thank you. Such exhibitions happen all around us, all the time. Driving down the road. Guilty. Just did it yesterday. I-5. There are some real animals out there on the road, okay? in line at the grocery store, in internet comment boxes, with a roll of the eyes, a snide remark, or worse, we tear people down and metaphorically pat ourselves on the back for our own superiority. But sometimes we dehumanize people simply by thinking in terms of demographics or statistics, erasing the real faces behind the numbers dehumanization of this nature is not usually a conscious or malicious process, but nonetheless, thinking of people as numbers, groups, or maybe worse, not at all, blinds us to the situations and needs of real people. Awareness is the first step to restoring and preserving the dignity of those who bear the divine image. I heard it said once, you know, Nebuchadnezzar tried to be a god, and had to be turned into an animal to learn that he was a human. This whole disrupted, it's a mess. It's a mess. Now there is good news. And I'm going to preach on this more next week, but in Daniel chapter 7, there's beasts raging, beasts out there, Nebuchadnezzar's a beast. Finally, in, in the dead center of Daniel chapter 7, a hero appears. And unlike you know, King Kong versus Godzilla. It's not another beast that shows up to deal with the beasts. It is one whom Daniel chapter 7 describes like a son of man, like a real human, like a, like a true human, like a human the way that humans were supposed to be. How are we going to defeat the beasts? How are we going to defeat the monsters? How are we going to get creation back in order? Who will exercise dominion? Who will have an everlasting kingdom where there's actual shalom and peace and wholeness and well-being? Friends, it's not going to be a bigger, badder, stronger animal. It is going to be the true human. Jesus, when he comes on the scene, Did you know that Jesus never refers to himself as the Messiah? 
That's not, that's not the language he uses for himself. Other people call him the Messiah. He doesn't use that language of himself. Do you know what Jesus calls himself the most out of any of the titles in all of the New Testament and all the gospel accounts? Jesus, time and time and time and time again, calls himself this very word, this very phrase from Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man. Mark 8, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is is triggering this Daniel 7 language for all of the people who would hear him preach, for all of these first followers. Wait a minute, are you saying that you're the true human being who's showing up to deal with the beasts? You go back in Mark chapter 1. I never have noticed this before. This kind of blew my mind this week. Mark chapter 1 is one of the accounts of Jesus' temptation in the desert. And in Matthew and in Luke, they're a lot longer. And he's, he's quoting scripture at the devil, and he's in, he's in battle mode, right? He's, he's in battle with the serpent. He's come to fight the beasts. But I noticed something in Mark 1. This is the shortest version of it. It says, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And, and who was he with? He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Here is the true son of man in his perfect rightful place in that tension between angels and between animals, the man, Jesus Christ. And that means when he lived this perfect life, it means when he goes to the cross and dies for us, he can actually offer us redemption because he's a true man. Yes, Jesus is God. But he's also fully man, the true man. Hebrews 2, if you guys were around when we did the, the sermon series in the book of Hebrews, you might remember that chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, like the writer of Hebrews is, is talking to some people who are really into angels. They think angels are awesome. We love angels. Angels are great. And the author of Hebrews is like, yeah, angels are cool. Have you heard about Jesus? And he kind of lands the plane here in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, look, you children have flesh and blood, so therefore he himself partook of the same things. Jesus really is a flesh and blood human being. And it says, I love this, he says, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that ancient beast, that ancient serpent, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Here's the the kicker. It's not angels that he helps. It's not angels that he helps, but sons of Abraham, offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Friends, the good news is that though sin disrupts the order of creation, the true human being has come, Jesus Christ, and he restores all things to their rightful place. And we who are united by faith to Jesus can be restored as well. Is that good news to anyone here today? Now, here's what I want to say, and I'm going to wrap this up because you might be saying that's all very well and good. So what? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go home and be nicer to my dog? I'll do it. Is that what you want? Yes, I do, but for maybe different reasons than you're thinking. here's, Here's what I want to offer to you. Four things. Number one, You need to find your image-bearing restoration in Jesus. 
I, I mentioned before that all human beings, we're, we're all created in the image and likeness of God, but the reality is that sin disrupts and distorts everything. And there are things in me and there are things in you that in our, in our natural state do not reflect the image of God. John Calvin, the, the great Protestant reformer, calls us like a broken funhouse mirror. But what the gospel says is that when you're united by faith to Jesus Christ, the the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he says that we who receive Jesus are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So some of you who are here today, you have not ever placed your faith in Jesus. And and the, the beautiful news is you are an image bearer of God created with more dignity, value, and worth than anyone in the world could offer to you. But you know in your most honest moments that there are things about you that do not reflect the goodness of God. You know that like like the Bible's teaching, there are things in you that are broken and fractured and disrupted. And the invitation today is give your life to Jesus. Receive his grace and his salvation and enter into that process of being restored into the image of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And for each and every single one of us who have received salvation in Jesus, isn't it reassuring to know that we're all in this process? That God's working on us from one degree of glory to another, day by day, remaking us, refashioning us. You know, when I'm prideful on Friday about my bathroom remodel project, which is not really all that impressive, God can remind me, hey, Aaron, that's prideful. You need to not be, and then when I'm devaluing somebody else because they're driving like a beast and an ox on I-5, okay, God, thank you for reminding me. You're working on me. You're shaping me. You're changing me to find my image-bearing restoration in Jesus. Number two, you got to learn how to live in the tension as a human being. Now, humans are incredible. Like, can I, like I, at the risk of being, like, I don't want you to walk away. Like, humans are amazing. Like, the things that humans can do. Humans can make a suspension bridge and cheesecake. I know, like, that's a good range. And like, like, the, the, you know, like the, the, the works of Vivaldi. Like I've heard some, like I've heard, like when growing up in Alaska, I've heard like moose bellers. And it's like, mm, it's, it's beautiful in its own sort of way. But man, Vivaldi's better, okay? Like humans are amazing, but the risk we run is going into pride. So we need to learn how to not be prideful. Humans, we're also incredibly frail, are we not? We're made from the dust. We share certain attributes with the animals. Some of you fall into that other ditch of just denigrating yourself. I'm worthless. I'm a worm and not a man. I'm, what, what value do I have? No, friends, look up at Jesus. You're loved. You're saved by his grace. You're created in the image and likeness of God. Have some dignity. Maybe some of you are like me where depending on the day, you go into both ditches. We have to learn how to live in this tension, this unique space, a little lower than the heavenly beings, over the works and the the, the animals and, and the things that God created by the works of his hands. We're in a unique spot. Number three, yes, learn how to be good stewards of God create of God's creation. And I do not just mean recycle and compost. I don't just mean, you know, be nice to animals. What I what I really mean by this is every single one of you who have been made in the image and like, who have been saved and you're being restored, 
God didn't just save you so that you could go to heaven when you die. That's not untrue, but it's not all that there is to it. What does Ephesians 2 say? We have been saved unto good works that we should walk in them. So you're going to go out of here in just a few minutes, and you're going to go, and tomorrow morning you're going to go back to work, or you're going to go back to you know, uh, raising your family, or you're going to be working in the, the tech sector, or you're going to be working in education, or whatever it is that you might be doing. You are called by Jesus to take his image into the world to exercise dominion and rule and care the way that he does over all things. Jesus is not just interested in your personal spiritual devotional life. Although reading the Bible and praying is incredibly important, God is calling you to go into the world to help bring his wise and loving rule to bear. And we can't do it perfectly. We won't do it perfectly. It's his work, not ours. We get to join up with him in his work, which is why, number four, we pray for the return of Jesus. We pray and we plead, come soon, Lord Jesus. I want to see you face to face. I want to see your wise and loving rule brought to bear. I'm so sick of the brokenness of the world and the fighting and wars and poverty and racism and cancer and sickness and death. I'm sick of it all. Would you come soon, Lord Jesus? Because the prophet Isaiah, towards the end of his book, he says it again. I, he's, he's speaking all the words of God. God says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. How good is that? Hey, uh, we're in heaven, you know, 20,000 years from now. You remember, um, it's like, it's like cancer? Does that ring a bell? No, it doesn't even ring a bell. Yeah, it was something, something like that. Ah, anyways, let's go back to enjoying God forever. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. God says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. My people. And no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Verse 25, he says it again. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and Dust shall be that serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And we all say, come soon, Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, will you help us to live as image bearers? Would you help us to live as men and women created in the image and likeness of God, being restored by Jesus into a fuller, better picture, a better image of the the Son of God? God, would you forgive us for those times where we're prideful? And would you pull us out of the ditch when we find ourselves uh, being devalued or less than human? God, would you help us to be humans? Would you help us to be about the good work in this world that you have for us? And we pray, Lord Jesus, Would you come soon? We long to see the restoration of all things. And even now as we come to eat and to drink, would you meet with us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll have Pastor Shane lead us in communion, and we'll invite our younger students class to come in and join us now too. Hey, friends. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, so I sat through the first service. I didn't sit through all of it this time with you, but it was in the hallway for part of it again. And so much good stuff to uh, unpack, so much to reflect on. Um, but I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was uh, what Pastor Aaron had shared just kind of about 
uh, ability versus status in thinking about who we are. And I mean, so you'll have to forgive me, you guys are in for like a year or two probably of um, hospital illustrations from me. Um, most of you would understand why, um, but I spent a good bit of time in the hospital this year, and so uh, I can explain more of that later for anyone who doesn't know that, but there were, there were certainly times where um, I, I felt like I was of very little value when I was sitting in the hospital, and nurses and doctors, especially the nurses, were doing things uh, for me that I've been doing for myself since I was, I don't know, three, four, whatever, um, and, and it's, it's humbling, and maybe some of you have been in that spot before, and you just feel like, gosh, where's my worth? Like, I feel like nothing. And so it was really encouraging to me this morning to hear, to remember that just by being human, just by being born, we are in his image. And that's, that's what should motivate then the life that comes from that. It's just our status. It's not what we do. But, man, how easy it is for us to slip into uh, thinking that it is, thinking that it is about our abilities and what we can do or can't do. When I wasn't here and able to serve you guys and be with you guys and build, building relationship with you guys and talking about Jesus with you guys, I mean, I mean, I realized in those moments, like, I, that was, that was me. I mean, yes, I missed you guys. Yes, I missed being here and being in my calling, but also, like, it was just wrong. Like, I was, I was getting my identity in being here with you guys and doing those things and getting to be part of this team. And, um, man, that's not where it comes from. That's not where my identity comes from. That's not where, um, that's not me imaging the Lord in the way that he wants me to and holding all my identity there. Um, some of you have seen since I've been back, hopefully less and less, but you see my hands shaking as I'm holding the microphone. That's not because I'm nervous to be around you guys. It's, it's the medication that I take and some of the other things that are still going on in my body, the healing that I'm still going through after this heart transplant and everything else. And I was doing a wedding yesterday, and I felt it in my legs even, even though most people didn't notice, they said, which was great. But I felt it in my hands at times, and I was like, oh, like I'm so frustrated with it because of how that looks and how that feels to me. Like I should be able to hold the microphone without, I'm a pastor, right? I should be able to hold the mic without shaking my hand. But like that's pride, that's pride in me, and it's, um, and it's again, me misplacing uh, where my identity should come from. It's me not living out of who I was created to be, the status of who I am in Christ just for being human. And so I hope as you guys heard all that this morning, and there's lots of other points we could draw out more, um, I, I hope something resonated in your own life from that as well. And I hope that it was encouraging to you to make sure you're, you're thinking about who you really are and where your value really lies. Now, for those of us who are, by God's grace, Christians in here this morning who are uh, disciples of Jesus, that's one of the things that we get a chance to reflect on this week when we enjoy the Lord's Supper together. So if you grabbed elements on the way in, I encourage you, you can go ahead and open those up and get ready to receive those things uh, together here in a minute. I encourage you just to hold on to them, not to take them yet. And we're going to read through in 1 Corinthians 11, like we often do, um, we're going to remember what Jesus' instructions were to his uh, first disciples concerning the Lord's Supper. So, while you're doing that, let me read from 1 Corinthians 11 for us. This is the word of the Lord. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, herself, then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So here in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we are literally meant to examine ourselves, meaning we're to pause, to reflect prayerfully before we receive the Lord's Supper. And while we read that passage most weeks, Sound City, can I just lovingly ask you to consider how often do you take that charge in 1 Corinthians 11 seriously when we do it? I was telling Stephanie, my wife, this week as I was getting ready and thinking about what I wanted to share as we um, moved into this weekend, I was telling her, I've been feeling really convicted lately that for me, communion, the Lord's Supper, it can become rote. And it's pretty repetitive in the things that we do, even when we try and mix it up or, or teach a little different angle on it or whatever. It can still just become this rote thing that we do without thinking about it very much. And so I just want to encourage you, want to encourage us don't let your familiarity with this passage or these instructions woo you into not taking them seriously. The Apostle Paul tells us what he tells us here for a reason, right? And he tells us these instructions here in this bit of, bit of the word because it's what's good for us and it's what's glorifying to him. So again, let me encourage you. Let's take Paul at his word. And as the band plays softly under us as they are now, let's truly spend some time in quiet prayer, examining our own hearts, reflecting on how God would have us respond to some of the things we heard today about our unique role as image bearers in the one true God, and about how our own sin disrupts us, disrupts us from truly living as who we were created to be. So let's take that time now in silent prayer, and then when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat of the bread and drink of the cup.